1: you want your company to be more innovative? You want to be innovative and brainstorm about being innovative in a basically foolproof way? If that's the case, then let's have Keith Harmeyer explain how that's going to happen. Keith, welcome to the show. Thank nice you, Joel. Thanks for us. having me. It's great uh, to be here. Tell tell us what this uh, fool. you know, I mean, listen, is anything really foolproof? You got something foolproof? <laughs> tell us what it is.
2: Uh, nothing is absolutely fool, foolproof, but you can certainly uh, increase your odds a little bit. So uh, my business, SmartStorming, uh, we name everything, we call everything SmartStorming by the name. The business, uh, the-, the book, everything is SmartStorming. SmartStorming is like brainstorming, only smarter, and uh, it's really what started our company and our work. Uh, my partner, Mitchell Ritchie, and I uh, put together, set out to put together a systematic step-by-step scalable approach for planning and leading successful brainstorming sessions. So uh, anytime uh, two or more people come together to generate or develop ideas. We give them the tools and the understanding and the concepts uh, and techniques that are required to be able to do that pretty much in an idiot-proof way. So if they follow the process, if they use our tools, they're pretty much guaranteed success. All right, so what are we talking? Are we talking little companies, big companies? Big companies, companies? little companies. We, uh, We have worked with companies as small as a couple hundred people, and we've worked with Google and Under Armour and Siemens and Diageo and lots of big international companies as well. So what happened? Just give, give us a run now.
1: What, what's the What are the basic steps in the process to make this happen? We could dig a little deeper in a while, but yeah. just give us the basics.
2: Well, we recognize that um, that really there are three sort of overarching areas that have to be addressed if groups, when they're coming together, are going to be able to generate a, a lot of ideas and high quality ideas. And so the first is a structure. Uh, most Idea generation sessions are very loose and haphazard and, and, uh, and not really carefully planned. People think that because it's a creative process that it should be free and loose and nothing could be further from the truth. There is a structure to a creative process, as most people uh, who've studied that know. So we provide a structured process. It's a six-step process that people start. It starts with um, pre-planning of, of the actual work and then uh, all the way through next steps and follow through. Uh, the this, next step
1: uh, is this a process that needs to be facilitated by a professional or uh, can companies read your book and just know how to handle it themselves?
2: Um our book, I'm, I'm very proud of our book. It's a very comprehensive look at, at at this topic. And in fact, we think it's the most comprehensive book ever written on on the subject. So, if someone were to read the entire book, which I think there are about six or seven people who've made it that far, but if they did, if they hopefully, did,
1: hopefully, your your uh, your mom's not one of those. I guess my
2: mom, my my wife is one though. She she actually <laughs> somehow made it through the whole thing. And, and our, our editor, but um, you would know more about this topic than ninety five percent of the people working in any industry anywhere. It's just it's that thorough. So, uh, so yes, at, at, at the, at the easiest level, that's a way someone can engage in our work. And And, and listen,
1: there there are, uh, you know, innovation is a funny thing. I mean, I I think about disruptive innovation, having come from the venture capital business and running a hedge fund now, I, I think about innovation in a, in a very significant 180 degree way where uh, competitors are eating each other's lunch every single day. Uh, Corporations, they want uh, maybe small and incremental change, uh, does this process work whether you want a little bit or a lot? I mean, is it, does it really matter how much uh, innovation you want to bring to the table? Um,
2: it, it it does work for any of those things, Joel. And actually, you know, we sort of identify three different levels of innovation. So the first is, as you say, incremental, right? So those there's, there's small improvements to something that already exists, that's a form of innovation. It's the most common. The next is evolutionary, where we take something that exists and kind of fundamentally transform it into something new and different and better. Um, if you think about the traditional vacuum cleaner and the Dyson vacuum cleaner, a good example of that, really fundamentally changed how the product worked. And then, of course, there's revolutionary or disruptive innovation, which is what we uh, typically think of, but that's the least common. Now, you're, it's right. In some industry, you're correct. In some industries, that's critical. Uh, but even at Under Armour, it was very important to them that we teach this notion because that's a company that's highly driven uh, by disruptive innovation, obviously, but they wanted their people to understand that that wasn't the only thing that contributed to success, that that also those incremental changes that make a product better or a service, uh, it's you know, somewhat improved uh, can contribute to success as well. So yes, our process works for any of that.
1: So small, medium, and large is kind of, uh, you know, a little bit of change, medium change and uh, tremendous change. I mean, that's, that's um, I kind of like to look at companies who are looking at, uh, you know, disruptive significant major issues uh you know which is which is what we talk about being disruption proof really getting out ahead of the curve so uh, on the one hand uh you know you're talking about companies helping them brainstorm do you help companies see the future anyway does this process help companies to look out forward and and see what might happen to them so that they can get out ahead of the curve which is what i try to encourage them to do
2: Oh, well, sure. And the brainstorm leadership uh, process doesn't necessarily do that. But in our work now, I, you know, we've evolved into a company that does a lot more consultative work. Uh, we do uh, assessments now. Uh, we have a psych- psychometric uh, diagnostic tool that we use to help people identify gaps in their innovation uh, and creative solving process. Uh, so. So, yes, one of the things we we uh, sort of support them in doing is keeping their. Their hand on the, you know, taking the pulse of the marketplace and their own business and their competition on a regular basis. You know, you talked about small, medium, and large change. The the common word and there's change. Yeah. And if and if and if people are not staying ahead of that curve, uh, they're in trouble. And the trouble will just continue to uh, to to become bigger and bigger until they no longer exist.
1: You know, as we look at, uh, you know, we look at the horizon. Uh, there's a lot of technologies that have changed things, but uh, the technology that's looming right now is certainly it's blockchain. It's, it's it's the ability to lock down documents and then decentralize the storage of them, uh, so that it protects against fraud and certain kinds of problems. And, and not being a technologist myself, I don't know if it's perfect, but uh, it sounds like uh, there's a lot of people that are pretty bullish on this, and it's going to change things all the way from the way we do elections in the United States of America. Uh, it's going to change banking. Uh, it's basically going to remove uh, the need for a lot of intermediaries and a lot of the platforms that we've gotten used to. Uh, even Uber is a platform where you go through Uber and they connect you to a driver. Uh, I recently read that blockchain might even remove the need for that. Right. Uh, I, I still think that we need platforms to connect A to B, and that's there's still value in, in people connecting each other. But you know, what do you think? How do you counsel companies on Ah, uh, getting ready for this kind of a significant change in the way that they operate their business to the point where uh, if they're an intermediary, they may not be necessary anymore. Yeah,
2: and so this these are exactly the moments when 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 this type of of exercise and this type of discipline becomes so important, because I, I agree with you. I think blockchain is going to transform the way uh, the way we do business. Um, I don't know that it will remove the middleman completely, because there, there, as you say, there is some value to having oversight in the middle. But, um, but, yeah, this is when this is the time when those when those organizations need to start thinking: how do we leverage this to our advantage, as opposed to have, having it put us out of business? And you know, the the, the business journals are littered with these stories uh, over the over the past several decades of companies that were doing something, continued doing business as usual, and now they're just a memory. So this do, is this uh, is the time to start looking at it. Do you
1: do any work with any of the venture capital companies, anybody in Silicon Valley? I mean, these companies have to be thinking uh, far out into the future about the way that they're going to deal with these kinds of problems. Uh, in fact, crowdfunding was, uh, was a big problem for them because they were very worried that they were going to be disintermediated if the crowd could come straight to the company and the company could raise money directly. And a lot of examples of companies raising money directly already exist I mean, you know, Wall Street's got a big fence around the money in the country. And, and if you want to get into the money, you got to go through Wall Street and you got to pay a fee. Um, crowdfunding is an example of how that works. And blockchain now is going to make it more secure and stronger and better so people have more confidence to move forward. Uh, you still need a middleman. You still need somebody to put the word out. But they just might not have as much power, control. You know, what do you think?
2: Well, uh, and we haven't done work uh, with, with any of the venture capital companies at this point. We, you know, I, I will tell you that we've found, and I, I think this is changing now, and I tell, I mentioned companies like Under Armour, uh, we've found that the people that seem to recognize the value in what we do are the ones who have a little bit of an inferiority complex about their ability to innovate. Uh, so so that often become, comes into play. And I think a lot of those groups don't naturally feel like they have a, a, a challenge in that area. So... Um, but, but yeah, I, uh, I, I think that, that these, again, these types of things are, it, the, the trick is learning how to leverage this change to your advantage, right? I, I, the, one of my favorite, uh, this has nothing to do with the, the current moment, but one of my favorite stories in this area is that, uh, you probably know it, is that Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix for $50 million, $50 million, and they laughed, um, and uh, what's-, what's uh, Who's that, laughing now, huh? over 30 billion now they're worth. Yeah, they, yeah. They, uh, they, they didn't want to leverage this new concept of streaming to their to their advantage. And so they figured well, they
1: would. Oh, on the one side, there's inferiority complex. On the other yeah. side is extraordinary arrogance.
2: Uh, <laughs> Andrew
1: is a great example, you know, from Intel. He, uh, mm-hmm. he has this paranoia, and I think a lot of guys in Silicon Valley have this paranoia, and that's enabled him to stay at the front edge of the curve for the last 30 years. Right. Uh, It's kind of a healthy paranoia in a funny way. Uh, And and he writes about that, that it's a healthy kind of paranoia. So um, it just it's a fascinating topic. Now, what about uh, what about regular workers? I mean, you know, some of your these giant corporations, they have uh, these are almost like think tanks. They have the smartest guys in the country. They have the ability to hire people like you, Uh, guys like me, consult to them and help them. And we bring all sorts of ideas to the table because we travel around the country and around the world. Uh, looking at ideas and, and different possibilities, what about regular people who don't have access to these things? I mean, they can read books; some of them do, uh, many of them do not. Uh, how do they protect themselves against the impending changes? Because there's a lot of stuff on the horizon.
2: That's a that's a great question, Joel, and it's one of my favorite topics. I actually talk about this a lot um, in in the keynote presentations that I give. That it's very so now we're talking about people. It's very easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that this. Uh, obsession, this, this uh, drive for innovation only applies at the organizational level. And that's simply not true. Yeah. Uh, every one of us today, every single one of us, I don't care what we do for a living, what industry we work in, we're under constant pressure to continuously reinvent ourselves in the value we deliver. And one of the examples I give, you know, I, 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 I don't mean to sound harsh, but all of us know someone who worked at a job for half their lives and uh, one day woke up and didn't have a job sure. and could not get another job. And while there are lots of things that can factor into si- those situations, one of the key ones is that that person failed to remain relevant, and and can no longer deliver the solutions that their their organizations need. So yeah, all, every one of us has to has to think and act a little bit like Steve Jobs today, and that's that's actually what we how we view our work. Um, we're less focused on working with companies at the at the enterprise level at, than we are at demystifying the creative problem-solving process, teaching the skills and giving people the confidence to do it on the front line.
1: You know, what, what I'm what I'm hearing you say, What my takeaway from that is that there's a certain amount of self-responsibility that we each have to take. Um, for some of us, that comes naturally or we've been trained to do that. You know, for a lot of rank and file people, in order to be successful at a company, you have to be a good soldier. Soldiers yeah. are not always taught uh, to be self-reliant and to uh, make a lot of those decisions. I mean, what makes them successful in corporations is is sort of exactly the opposite of what now is necessary for them to protect themselves in this incredibly rapidly changing world. So I I mean, what can we do for people? I mean, how can we help them? I mean, this is, I mean, people are really, they're really in a, uh, in a quandary. A lot of people are going to wake up really, you know, hurting because their, their world has changed. The world's changed right out from under them. They don't bring the requisite skills to the table anymore. What do you think?
2: well I mean I, I I actually believe that this is where the the more visionary leaders and the more successful companies are doing things differently because they are they are fostering those cultures of innovation they are allowing and not only allowing people but encouraging them to take some some calculated risks to share their thoughts and their ideas they're they're making use of crowdsourcing and and uh, and, and things of that nature so so I, I, I believe it's actually contingent upon the leadership uh, in, in organizations to nurture people and, and help provide those skills and those opportunities. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. I, I think, you know, I think that the most successful companies today, uh, you know, take let's take Apple. Uh, Because that's the that's the cliche that everybody uses. Apple is not a technology company that happens to be innovative. They're an innovation focused company that happens to play in the technology space and uh, and 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 win there. And I think that's the that's going to that is the key to success today. It's going to continue to be. So the, the average person, you're right. Uh, doesn't have the understanding they don 't have the skills they don 't have the confidence to actually show up and, and think and act that way it 's contingent upon the leadership of those organizations to it's, give it
1: it 's going to be tough for, for a lot of these people I can I, can, it uh, I just have a sense about it
2: and, and you know a lot of people are
1: just not ready for a lot of what's about to happen so you want to make any prediction Anything anything on the horizon we need to be thinking about?
2: Um, well, I think you, you're bringing up blockchain. I mean, that's certainly that's certainly the big thing that uh, that we're talking about. My my 26 year old uh, millennial son uh, has at least a 20 minute conversation with me every day about cryptocurrency. So, I, I think that 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 whole area is something that that we need to look at. Um, I do think with the young the younging of the workforce, right, uh, as, as opposed to the aging, um, a lot of these a lot of these challenges are going to to diminish. Of course, technology and and it increases so rapidly that it may can, we may always be chasing it. But I think uh, our children's generation are going to be far more comfortable with the with the degree of change that they have to deal with than our generation.
1: But you know, uh, something will uh, happen in their generation that they're not comfortable with that sure. their children will like better. And of course, we don't know what that is. But that's uh, imagine that. You know, when you talk about cryptocurrency, uh, which is is on the horizon, and, and most people do not deny that it's coming and that it's real. Uh, there's two different attitudes that I notice. One is it's coming. Let's let's uh, you know let's get ready for it. Uh, but at the government level, uh, you know, kind of what they think is we don't want it to come, so we're going to stop it. Or they can take the attitude of it's coming. Let's adapt to it you know, currency is the lifeblood of, uh, of capitalism. I mean, it's what makes it work. It's what makes it, you know, it makes it possible for all of us to cooperate. Uh, and it's taken thousands of years for the way the currency system that we have to evolve. But governments haven't figured out how to take their pound of flesh out of cryptocurrency. Governments haven't figured out how to protect us against fraud. And when you see all this stuff on Facebook buy crypto prices going higher, um, when your barber starts giving you stock advice, that's the time to sell your. your stuff. <laughs> when I mean, you're in trouble, right? Yeah. You no, know, I mean that's and that's what's happening now. When when uh, when barbers and, and and other people start giving advice, and, and everybody on Facebook is your barber. They're all right. Somebody they're just giving you your neighbors. Uh, I remember years ago, my neighbors' kid started telling me uh, it's time to buy real estate. Or I knew the minute that that kid. Some neighbor's kids start telling me, uh, and I'm I'm in the uh, real estate hedge fund business. When somebody's yeah. telling me how to run uh, real estate, I knew that it was time to start selling. Yeah, uh, you know, or, or you know, or whatever. So it just, you know, what do you think? Are, are governments going to successfully adapt to this, or is it going to be a black market for a long time?
2: You know, it's 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 fascinating because and, and and look, you're you're the you're the finance guy and and um and understand those markets better than I do by far. Uh, but I do think it's a it's a it's a, pro- a key example of exactly what we're discussing here. Uh, I don't know where crypto is going, uh, but I doubt that it's going away. Yeah. And there, there's just, there's just too, there are just too many people too emotionally and, and financially invested at this point for me to believe that it vanishes. And because it's decentralized, because no one government has their hooks into it, is, is part of the reason that it can, that it can uh, evade that kind of pressure, I think. So um, I, if I were if I were uh, working for the Fed, I'd be trying to figure out how to how to get into that game, not stop it, because I doubt that it'll be stoppable. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not sure what that is. I wish I did, but uh, I'd be looking for ways to leverage what's going on in, in crypto to our advantage, not uh, not try and uh,
1: every every one of these situations. There there are there are winners and there are losers, and sure. you know, many of us are going to be winners, but. Uh, there are a lot of people who make a lot of money in the money business. And a lot of those people are going to be disintermediated right out of business. And it's going to be very tough on them. So yeah, uh, the government's got a long way to go. The government's got a lot of things to figure out and they really do. They, they're. I I look at the government as the referee in in our, in our big soccer match. I mean, they have to protect us against, uh, you know, giant companies doing things they shouldn't do to little people and little people doing things that they shouldn't do to other people. And, you know, so there's uh, their job is to kind of be in the middle. Sometimes their job, they, they, get a little bigger than their job should be in my estimation, but uh, they really do have to figure out how to make this work because it's, uh, it's not going away anytime soon. So listen, maybe there's a way for you to take your smart storming into, uh, into the government, uh, the halls of government, into the halls at, uh, in Silicon Valley and some of these other places, because the truth is that a little, a little healthy paranoia would probably help them. So. Absolutely.
2: And we will accept payment in Bitcoin, by the way. So (laughs) it's, you know what, uh, Probably a smart idea. Just
1: make, no sure you, just make sure you pay your taxes. That's it. Exactly. Yes. All sure. right, Keith. Well, listen, thanks for joining
2: us and uh, why don't you tell everybody how to get a hold of you and just in case they want to connect. Uh, very easy. Smartstorming.com. That's uh, that's the place you can contact us through the, through the website. Uh, and it's just like it sounds smart and storming uh, all together. One word. And, and uh, I would also encourage people to look for the book. It's also called smart storming. So easy to remember and. Uh, I think just about anybody can benefit from some of the tools and the techniques that are in the book. So, well, listen,
1: we in, in, in just a little while here, uh, I got a lot of really cool information, and I hope everybody agrees. So, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll be back in touch.
2: Thank you, Joel. I enjoyed it.
1: Take Thanks. You. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more,
0: visit joelblock.com.